John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 1008.jh0406 certificate number 36525 pumpkin pie what are you watching and that is pumpkin spice coffee does it taste like pumpkin but pumpkin doesn't taste like anything it's like squishy nothing that's what they put on pumpkin what they to make it more interesting faces. you know cinnamon and nutmeg and spooky faces what did you just say spooky faces you carve no, them on something know. else oh, okay. there's pumpkin spice everything what a weird word Every year, about around this time, it happens. Pumpkin. A pumpkin. pumpkin. Everything goes pumpkin. pumpkin. Or pumpkin? Should I have said pumpkin pie? So my mother, who grew up in Ohio on a farm, refuses to acknowledge that there is a second P in or, the word pumpkin. Or indeed an M. Right. Pumpkin pie is the way she insists on it being pronounced. And so I, having been raised in this insanity, will veer from pumpkin to pumpkin, depending on how I'm referring to it. Like I cannot think of a pumpkin patch without calling it pumpkins. I do not think of a pumpkin patch. I think of pumpkin patches. Are they different things to you or? No, a pumpkin patch is, is where you grow punk pumpkins, but also, I mean, like I can talk about pumpkin pie because I like, I guess the alliteration feels good. Pumpkin pie. Whereas pumpkin pie feels a little bit country. But pumpkin patch definitely is where you grow pumpkins. I think my mom can't even say pumpkin. I'll say, say pumpkin, just say pumpkin and she'll say pumpkin. It must be regional, right? Because I know that the great, you know, Hoosier poet, James Whitcomb Riley, kind of this famous author of 19th century doggerel, wrote that poem about how the frost is on the pumpkin. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was trying to be folksy, but maybe that's just how everyone he was writing to would have said it. Well, that's what, that's what folksy is, right? Just them folks <laughs> saying the thing the way they folks say it. I assumed it was like a folksy put on though. Oh, oh, I, I thought, see. Like I thought he was doing a, a dialect a thing. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I, my mom does not indulge in a lot of folksyisms. In fact, she looks back at the Midwest as a backward place she's glad to have left. And she does not say arn her clothes anymore. Arn? She doesn't. Does she wash them before she, she arns them? She doesn't or arn them, but she did say that growing up. But pumpkin, you can't dislodge her. I had a teacher who used to say Washington. Washington. I, well, I think she said that too. And you hear that every once in a while, Washington. They should stop people at the border of Washington <laughs> Make State. Make them say it. Say the name of the state. <laughs> if you say Washington or Oregon. That's right. Go back get, to Illinois for aside. another five years. Um, but I am a big fan of 
pumpkins and mm. pumpkin pie. I, I mean, there's who isn't? There's something so wonderful about a pumpkin and the season that it ushers in, and the whole time when pumpkins are in the world, in the on our porches and in our supermarkets, and and the flavor and smell of pumpkins are around. It's just that it's kind of my favorite time of the year, and I feel a close identification with pumpkins. Do you identify sexually as a pumpkin? Are you like an otherkin, a pumpkin otherkin? I have never. Do you have a fursuit that's felt, a big pumpkin? I've never felt any sexual attraction to pumpkins, but now that you're, I mean, and I think if what's I, the sexiest jack o' lantern you've ever seen? If I did have an attraction to pumpkins, I think I would call them pumpkins. You can't count pumpkins. I think I'm attracted to pumpkins and not to pumpkins. Pumpkin rock is bullshit. <laughs> you can't That's say, a hot take. You can't say that Jack Skellington, the pumpkin king, is... Well, you can say he's sexy. He is sexy, but he's not really a pumpkin. Well, he's we'll a get ske- into that. He's a skeleton who's the king of the pumpkins, which is means he's some kind of oppressive outside ruler. Yeah, he's a skeleton. Who's been brought in to rule the pumpkins, even though he is not actually But the thing a is, pumpkin. a skeleton if it's animated, can actually accomplish things where it's very hard for a, a pumpkin to accomplish anything. That's true, but surely an animated pumpkin would have the ability to transcend its its limitations just like a, a real skeleton would not be much of a, of a president or king. True. And a, and a pumpkin is a vine uh, fruit. So you, if you incorporate the mm. vines, sure, a vine could be, a, it could be a many tentacled adversary. It's interesting how you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you love pumpkins because of the whole season. Because it's a weird kind of food in that it's raised as a food crop, but A, we don't actually eat it that much, and B, we just love it for its kind of vague pop cultural associations. Well, there are – so the history of the pumpkin is uh, is extremely interesting, right? It's native to the Americas. Yes, uh, like all was, squashes. Like all squashes. In fact, the word squash is clearly not any kind of – European word. Anything in the language that sounds that cool, like squash or skunk, right? you know it's Wampanoag or, or some American <laughs> tribe. Well, and so it was, uh, uh, the squashes originated kind of in Central America and in Mexico. And there's a lot of argument about the origins of the various squash uh, species because they seem to have, in many cases, kind of independently evolved in different locations. Um, but Central America certainly. So there could be some kind of alien invader. Some kind of they That's do. Right. They do look like the body snatchers pods. Sure, they right? dropped down out of. Uh, they came off of a meteorite or something, and the, the UFOs moved to three dimensional <laughs> space just long enough to leave these weird gourds in eight parts of the Americas. Just bloop, bloop, and then bloop. just as quickly, and then they drew their giant runway figures. Yep, and, and took then, off into space. Then they bailed. They made some mounds. They threw some squash around and then split. The mounds are just the extra dirt left over from the Nazca carvings. That's my theory. Oh, really? Even the mounds up in Ohio? Yeah, they went all the way uh-huh. from Peru to Ohio because they had all that extra dirt. Yeah. Where were you going to dump it? They're like, oh, Ohio, it's Ohio, flat. there's nothing up there. Nothing there, just John's mom talking about pumpkins. Typical colonial mentality. <laughs> colonial UFOs. You know what? There were already mounds in Ohio. Thank you. Oof. We don't need you UFO Naturally. colonizers. Uh, but squash were among the earliest domesticated crops. I mean, in, in the Middle East, they were domesticating rye and other grains in 11,000 BC, but squash. Why would you start with rye? <laughs> like <laughs> Cause, uh, like cause, wheat, 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 taste, wheat and rice actually taste good, but we're not ready yet. 
Rye. We're gonna well, start they, out with you know rye. why? Because they because they're bourbon drinkers. The uh, original. I mean, that's probably people. true of most grain cultivation, right? It probably did start as something to make beer with. To make beer with. Well, I mean, which is going to be the first thing that you discover, beer or bread? I bet beer. Well, actually, you know, you say that, but I think there is some evidence that the Egyptians discovered beer because of leaving bread dough out. Oh, really? Like, yeah, they were they were using it as a cooking staple, and they realized. When it hey. fermented, stuff got fun. I would think that it would be that the grain, you would pound up the grain and throw it in some water and it would start to. Like you, you get back, you're a primitive person, hunter-gatherer, yep. you get back from the gym. Yep. You, you pound up some, <laughs> some grain and put it in a little shake. Pounding up grain is the gym in prehistoric times. <laughs> Everything's the gym in prehistoric times. But so the squash was domesticated as a food staple. There are a lot of different kinds of squash and many of them only, they're hardy in varying degrees. And so they're, a lot of them grow most happily in warm climates with warm summer nights and long seasons. We should make this clear to the future that botanically, there's really no such thing as a pumpkin, right? Well, like squash, there's a, a species called the squash and it's everything from zucchini to, you know, all these different kinds of gourds. But pumpkin is just a word we use for a, a bunch of squash that have a certain kind of shape and a certain kind of color. It is hilarious how divisive the squash question is among botanists. There's a squash question among botanists? There are a lot of squash questions among botanists because squash... I'm going to call them squestions. <laughs> squestions, squashions. There is such a diversity of squash types. It's, and it's true. They're dark green, they're yellow, they're orange, they're long, they're round, they're big, they're small. Yep. And some of them are really good and some of them are really bad. Like, um, like they're evil? They do no, bad No, no, no. They're just bad tasting. They're, no. they're not but, poisonous, right? They're not like some nightshade plant. No. But there are a lot of squash species that cannot quite be accounted for in terms of having a single place of genesis. Mm. And some squash are infertile in terms of being able to uh, be crossbred with other squash, and some are not. We're talking about uh, a, uh, a genus called Curcurbita, or Curcurbita, and then within that, there are all the subsets of Curcurbita. So the largest variety of squash fall under the heading Curcurbita pepo, um, Peppo, or I don't think Peepo. Peepo. I, I bet Peppo. Peepo Bryson? Peppo. So, and this is, this is most of our food squashes is your acorn, your butternut. Well, so there are edible squashes across the whole panoply of squashes. Mm. Peppo can crossbreed with a lot of different squashes, but a lot of other ones it can't. Moshata, Kirkabita Moshata is a, a really delicious sort of edible squash. It's very separate from pepo, but can be crossbred. There are squashes in the family. Uh, let's see, what are the the other ones? Are Curcubita fissifolia. Those are more of a South American squash, also edible. A lot of them are cultivated for, uh, like their flowers are edible. Every part of the squash is edible, right? The flowers, the rind, the seeds. The meat inside. That's the Indians for you. That's right. They use every they part use of the every buffalo. Every part of the squash alo. Uh, there's uh, Kirkabita. Um, hey, Kirkabita. Argirosperma. Ar 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 Let's call it Argirosperma. These are all angiosperms. So 
squash are actually a fruit and they're in the berry family. Oh, they're just big, big berries. They're just berries that have kind of evolved a uh, like a stringy rind instead of a, a delicious outer I'm, I'm kind of a person fruit. who's developed a stringy rind instead of a delicious outer fruit. So I, I, I understand. Don't want to go all the way into that conversation. But so, so squash were one of the first foodstuffs brought back from the Americas to Europe after... Probably because they would survive an ocean voyage, Yeah, right? they're hardy and they were, I'm sure, intriguing. And they were, because they were alien plants, they were they were probably mind-controlling the conquistadors or whatever. That's like, right. Spread they're us like, to your continent. Us. They just wrapped their vines around <laughs> Pizarro's ankles and were like, take us home. I will take the squashes back to Spain. That's so the, Pizarro being hypnotized. Is that... That's how he would say I it. am Pizarro. Soy Pizarro. <laughs> I will bring you back to España. There are gourd species from Asia and from Africa, but they are not curcubita. They're they're a separate. Uh, oh yeah, like genus. I've seen I've seen traditional Asian like decor that's carved from gourds, and they'll use them as percussion. And but those are not squashes, then. No, and they were initially, I think, cultivated as uh, as drinking vessels. Right? You yeah, they weren't yeah. they weren't foods, but they were these great sort of insta cups. And there is speculation that the squash came from Asian species of gourd that that moved with the initial settlers, the initial sort of migrants to the Americas. They just came in their little rafts or over the Bering Strait with a pocket full of squash seeds and a, right. and a dream. Delicious squash cups. Mm. But then when they mi- migrated to Europe through the Americas. Back in, across the ocean. Back the across world. the ocean. They became extremely popular right away in France in particular and then like over to Britain. As a culinary thing? Yeah, because they had this Because now we have cups. We, we had plenty of cups. You could make cups. them out of wood. Uh, you, you could make them out of pewter. Lots of options. And, and also, if you wanted a hat, you no longer had to use a gourd as a hat. We had all the new technology. But what we didn't have was this delicious, meaty strange new taste and the tastes of the new world were all very fashionable in that initial era of exploration. You know, nowadays we think of the potato as an Irish staple and uh, I guess zucchini has an Italian name, but all this stuff came from the the Americas. I mean, including tomatoes, which are... Tomatoes, yeah. Speaking of, yeah, marinara sauce. There's no such thing as Italian cuisine without tomatoes, but in fact... Everything we have now that has tomato and Italians used to just have olive oil and fig juice. I don't know. What, what would you use instead of tomatoes? Uh, olives. olives. I mean, olives were everything, presumably. That's why they're tomatoes. called olives, because all of the food. Oh. That's, that's where it comes from. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, funny about zucchini. Zucchini is actually a squash that was initially sort of developed in northern Italy as late as the later half of the 19th century. So zucchini is not native to the squash that, uh, from whence zucchini came, came from the Americas, but it was developed in Italy. So zucchini is- If you showed it to an Indian tribe, they would be like, we gave you our beautiful squash and you made this This green phallic thing. There are a lot of different squash. So so I think the inhabitants of Mexico and Central America would recognize it as a squash. There were a lot of different weird- Gooseneck squashes and tubular oh, yeah. to this, squashes. To this day, there are lots of squashes that have zucchini color that are some kind of squash. Right. But the Native Americans of North America actually received their squash through England. So squash were re-imported to Boston 
through the pilgrims. So at the first Thanksgiving, it was not the Indians bringing the pumpkin pie? It was the pilgrims? Correct. And in fact, pumpkin pie itself was developed in the United Kingdom in the 1600s as a a novel way to use this interesting sort of uh, food stuff that came from the Americas. And they started cultivating in France and England these pumpkins and butternut squashes and whatnot and developed this recipe for a delicious pie cooked out of... It's a custard in some kind of a... a, Pie crust. A tart shell, yeah. The, uh, The way that you would have eaten squash in the Americas at the time was more of a kind of a soup like we would, like you would think of a sort of Trader Joe's pumpkin soup. We still make pumpkin soup, right? Um, So the pie was this innovation that came back to the Americas. I've seen early recipes where they would be very fancy and make it in the pumpkin gourd itself instead of a pie crust, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, right. Is that what you want? I mean, I it's think like a in, bread bowl, I in, guess. In the 19th century, there was a phase, I think, where they would, yeah, they'd throw, it was kind of like making a turducken. They would throw <laughs> apples and cinnamon and all kinds of things inside of a pumpkin and bake it as a whole. It's a tur pumpkin. Yeah, There's a Japanese pumpkin. restaurant here in town that will make pumpkin fried rice in the pumpkin that the thing came from. Really? And it is kind of like, you know, using the you, know, you kill something and then use its own skeleton. It's kind of like, in your face, pumpkin. <laughs> in your face, alien overlords. Here, here in town right now, Amazon.com has taken over some of the upper floors of Macy's, a department right. store it helped put out of business. Right. Or is helping put out of business. And I always think, man, that's just, that's the most amazing act of one-upsmanship. Yeah. To, it's to re- move back into the carcass of your prey. It's a real hermit crab mentality. <laughs> Although the hermit crab, yeah, I guess the hermit crab could... Did he outcompete the uh, mollusk? He, he doesn't eat the old mollusk, right. right? Like, or maybe he does. Is there some real badass so. hermit crab? He, that's I think just, he just waits. He to just find an to empty, find a good shell. He's yeah. just a house hunter, which is not what Amazon's doing. They're just gradually sucking the life out of all department stores. Imagine some hermit crab house hunters type show where he's like, just looking for a new shell, five bedrooms. <laughs> oh, oh. I need an office. Derp, derp. Our budget is seventy five thousand sand dollars. I dare you to segue from that. I, it's very hard. It's very hard to leap off of, off we were, of your house hunters, your, your my, shell my hunters imaginary, international. That hilarious comedy premise. Uh, you were talking about how early pumpkin pies came from Britain. Yeah. Uh, and they were a very Yankee emblem, right? The, uh, the When they came to Boston. Because they became a kind of like, at least culturally, a thing that we thought of as being uh, like a New England Protestant pie. I think of it as a cold weather plant, I think because of the frost is on the pumpkin thing. But if a lot of squashes came from Central America and Mexico, that's not really true. It's more cultural than than climatic. Yeah, there are few varieties that can survive like early freezes. Um, So you're limited in what can grow in the northern states. Uh, There's certainly a greater Mm -hmm. variety can grow the further south you go. I know zucchini can grow... Anywhere. Like when it's zucchini season in a neighborhood where people have gardens, people will just be leaving zucchini on your back door because they're trying to get rid of it. Because everyone thinks it'll be so great to have a zucchini plant. And then how many zucchinis do you eat in a year? You you just can't eat that much zucchini. Six maybe if you have a blender. But pumpkins can thrive in New England. Is that right? Some varieties of pumpkin can survive. And what we think of as a Pumpkin, and this is where the botanists really get all up in one another's business because there are there are pumpkins that we think of as the pumpkin, kind of primarily maybe the, the best known is the Connecticut field pumpkin. 
Is that your canonical orange jack-o'-lantern? That's the orange jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. They're, they tend to grow pretty big. They're not especially delicious, but they're gorgeous, I yeah, guess. Yeah, if they're mostly for carving and decor, you almost don't want it to have a whole lot of filling. You want it to be easy to hollow out and firm. You don't care if the flesh is any good. Well, they were developed as animal feed. You know, ah. a, a, a great thing about squash is that they are hardy. They grow fast. Uh, they mature in the summer and you can keep them in a, in a root cellar and, you know, cows and, and, uh, hippopotamuses love yeah. pumpkins. Yeah. Those early Boston settlers had a ton of cattle and hippos. Hippos. And you know, like Pablo Escobar. Have you been to the, the pumpkin feeding at the zoo? Yeah. A lot of zoos do this now, yeah. right? They'll use all their old jack-o'-lanterns and they, toss them to the, the pandas and the hippos. Oh, and they just love them. And so they don't have to be particularly sweet for a cow because it, you know, it's, they're better than grass, presumably meaty, delicious pumpkin. Fun to crunch on. Fun, fun to crunch. It's like a, it's like a, a football snack to them. But the emblem of them as a symbol of the American autumn. Yeah. I think as, as we migrated to cities, like these pumpkins growing as animal feed became a kind of, you know, a, a sort of romantic symbol of the Middle West. I know that over the winter, what's it called? Over the river and through the woods, that mm -hmm. grandmother's house, you know, which is about going back to your ancestral country farm home. Right. Uh, I think in autumn, um, it ends hooray for the pumpkin pie, you know, like that's the symbol of being home at grandma's is that delicious country pumpkin pie. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout well so during this period our pumpkin pie story takes an interesting turn which is that um a man by the name of Elijah Dickinson, who's a very religious Kentucky farmer. Religious sounding name for sure. Yeah, Elijah Dickinson. That guy's strict. He's a, he's a strict Protestant guy. And he uproots his family and decides to move to Illinois to start a new life on the on the frontier, I guess, the, the wild, fertile lands of Illinois. If where this guy does not start a pumpkin sex cult, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. He pretty much does. He takes yeah. along with him a lot of his seeds from his Kentucky farm. He's a successful farmer there. Uh, along uh, and, and among these seeds are some seeds of a kind of squash, a squash that we wouldn't call a pumpkin necessarily. This is not Kirkurbina pepo. Uh, this is Kirkabita moshata, which is in the same family as the butternut squash. And his seeds for this sort of 
what we would look, if you looked at it, you would call it a squash. It's a small, um, does it, it's not long like a butternut squash. It's no, it's not it, but it's not round like a pumpkin yeah. either. It's kind of a little, it's like a football sized little squash, which became known as the Dickinson pumpkin. And he moved to Illinois and started cultivating these and they had a very sweet flavor and they produced a nice consistency of pumpkin meat. They're good eaten. They're good eaten. And the squash at this time, a lot of them were, were described by people coming from Europe using terms that made sense to them. So the Dickinson pumpkin is actually a strain of squash that was known as the large cheese squash because the squashes were kind of flat and squat and sure. looked like a it's cheese. It's a big orange loaf cheese. thing. Yeah. And if you look at all the different kinds of squash, so many of them are called cheese. <laughs> There's probably 25 kinds of like the French cheese and the Kentucky cheese and the Illinois cheese. They so don't taste like cheese. They though. don't taste like cheese, but they look like cheese. So Dickinson took the large cheese with him when he went and he he started cultivating them there in Illinois and very quickly they were recognized as a delicious kind of pie filling. And the Dickinson family started growing increasingly only these pumpkins because they were a kind of monocrop that made them quite a bit of money. They were successful in selling these and they were early canners of canned pumpkin. So you would not actually have to scrape out the, ins buy a Dickinson pumpkin, scrape out the inside. Cause it takes, a, I don't know. Every time I cover jack-o'-lantern, I think, how do you go from this to the, the mush in the can? So I've talked to my mom about it quite a bit. Who's made a lot of pumpkin pies from pumpkins, just your natural field pumpkin. Really? Not from a, a can of. And she says that it is an incredibly laborious process. You have to uh, because it's very stringy meat. Sure. You have to basically push it through a sieve and refine the pumpkin meat, you know, through multiple sort of hand processes. I guess the stuff we buy is probably essentially a puree, right? It's a puree. It's been chopped up by a terrible mincing machine. And a Dickinson pumpkin being less a pumpkin and more of a butternut squash is already less stringy. Mm. Um, but so the Dickinson brothers ended up building a big canning company. They were, became the major producers of canned pumpkin, which is, I think everyone agrees, not really pumpkin. Uh, the pumpkins. It's not a, it's not a, what we would usually call a pumpkin, which is that a Connecticut species. Right. And, and again, the botanists, this is a, I mean, I, there's not a lot going on in botany. I think, uh, in terms of like where like fists can get thrown, I don't think when you go to botany conventions, there's a ton of like people throwing drinks in one another's faces, but wading into the writing about it, I found some extremely long passages of disagreement about what, because a pumpkin is a squash, but a squash isn't a pumpkin. Is it They're all fruits. Is it respectful disagreement or I think do passions I mean, run high? I think, well, I think. I think that there is some controversy and it, and it starts when you say, because it's been popular in recent years for food bloggers and Buzzfeed style internet conspiracy generators to say, you'll never guess what's in your pumpkin pie. Hint, it's not pumpkin. And then 
Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever flops down on her fainting couch and goes, I'm being poisoned. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a kind of popular. And the, and the gotcha now. is that this is just a squash. It's just a it's squash. Not a You've been eating squash pie the whole time. I think my mom has actually made pumpkin pie with a, with a different kind of a, maybe she couldn't get pumpkin when we lived overseas. So she would make it with some other kind of canned squash. And I thought it was essentially indistinguishable because, and you're probably going to want to get into this, the custard in a pumpkin pie does not taste like pumpkin so much. It tastes like cinnamon and cloves and ginger and allspice and nutmeg. Right. And the, the, the recipe for all those spices it harkens back to England in the 1600s. It's true. That's a straight up list of what you would put on your suckling pig with an apple in its mouth right. or whatever. Cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, allspice being an, another kind of berry from a pimenta plant, which was similarly kind of discovered during this era of exploration. Is it New World or is it like Southeast Asia? It's no, it's um, New World also. And it was. It oh, was yeah. A, it's, it's what you put in a Jamaican jerk right. stuff. That's all allspice. It's still very popular. In fact, allspice became one of the great exports of the New World cuisine. It became incredibly important in Indian food, in the food of the Middle East. You, you taste allspice. In some cases, it's the primary spice of. Uh, like a, a whole handful of global cuisines. They must have, I think they named it that way because they thought it tasted like a, a blend. It's a melange of cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves. Yeah, it tasted just like what you would get if you put those three together. So one-stop shop. Except what, then why do you still put cinnamon, nutmeg, and cloves in pumpkin pie? You should just put in allspice. Well, so I much feel simpler. like you, it, because allspice has predetermined the blend. Ah, you need a different proportion. Yeah, if you want a little bit more clove in your in your taste, you put in... You can add that separately. I assume there must be different levels to the taste of cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves that allspice actually does not capture, or basically we would have just replaced everything with allspice by now. Yeah, and I think you taste allspice in halal food or you taste it in Indian food, and it it is um, in the cases where it's the main flavor, mm -hmm. you really get a sense of like what allspice's capacities are. It could not suffice as the sole flavoring of pumpkin pie because it would... Pumpkin pie would taste like lamb vindaloo. It would taste like jerk chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and it's also, a, it's a component in moles. I mean, mm. it's very popular all around. So the it seems like pumpkin is uh, the least important thing in a pumpkin pie. Then. Well, and also a pumpkin pie has like heavy cream, eggs, and sugar. Sure. Which are the three <laughs> ingredients that I would like to see in all foods. There's, I mean, in the movie Pulp Fiction, pumpkin pie is actually used as a symbol of deliciousness. When yes. Samuel Jackson says... You know, sewer wrap might taste like pumpkin pie, but I wouldn't eat the filthy mother ever. To him, there's nothing more delicious he can imagine than pumpkin pie. It has nothing to do with pumpkin. It's eggs, cream, and, and spices. Well, and there is, a, there is in, within the United States, a real north-south divide around the idea of pumpkin pie. Yes. Jules should say sweet potato pie, That's not right. pumpkin pie, right? Because uh, in, in 1860 or 61, Abe Lincoln declared Thanksgiving a national holiday. Yeah, it's during the Civil War, for during sure. During the Civil War. And the South really rejected the idea. It, they considered it a kind of propaganda device. And the connection between pumpkin pie and the North and the story of the pilgrims. It's New England. They're, they're like, this is Yankee culture. That's right. They feared that the pumpkin pie was an attempt to colonize their local, their regional cuisine. And so they responded with. Sweet potato pie. That's right. Sweet potato pie. Which what did not exist or was it a, it already, it was not concocted just to 
to stick it to Lincoln. No, but it was elevated in stature as this, this is our equivalent. That's right, the the official pie of the South. And even when pumpkin pies were made in the South, they had other ingredients, Southern ingredients like bourbon, were added to the Southern pumpkin pie to make it theirs. Possum meat. <laughs> That's a little bit of roadkill. <laughs> Cotton. Yeah, was the number one but, thing they added to their delicious sweet potato I mean, to be pies. fair, the North and the South are at war at this point. So Lincoln can't really make them celebrate a holiday any more than FDR could have made the Nazis celebrate Purim. Right. It's, it, it doesn't have a lot of legislative force. No, but that was a common thing in the North to describe all of their stuff as the Union, right? I mean, they were the Union Army. That's it. They weren't talking about the Union of the Northern States. They were talking about the Union of both sides. And the they weren't wrong. When the country was reunified, all those Southerners had to suck it up and have Thanksgiving. They did. And they, they hated every second. They're like, I don't want to eat this turkey. Well, I, I think we think of punk and pie as being a foodstuff of the Middle West and the, and the South even. Yeah, it's because true. Because it feels like such a Southern food. And I'm not sure how much that prejudice still exists in the South, whether there is a residual uh, suspicion of pumpkin pie and Thanksgiving. As a rule of thumb, I would think that stuff like that, that kind of resentment does linger in the South longer than you would expect, right? But how do you resist a delicious pumpkin pie? It's the truth story. I mean, I wish I liked sweet potato pie better because I feel like that's the more authentic thing. You want that to get that at a soul food restaurant. Right. But I prefer pumpkin pie to sweet potato pie. Absolutely you do. And part of that is a result of the Dickinson brothers who commercialized their operation and to such a degree that they became the main purveyors of pumpkin filling for whatever use you might have for it. They corner the market. They're like the the doles or whatever. And then right before the uh, economic collapse in 1929, the Dickinson brothers kind of foresee the economic lay of the land and they sell out. They sell to the Libby Corporation right Mm. right before the crash. Uh, but Libby is able to then really mechanize their system, really inst- institute quality control, and they become a canned Libby pumpkin. To this day, it seems like that's the def- canonical pumpkin, right? It is. It is the do canonical they, Do they pumpkin. still produce most of the world's pumpkin? They filling? do. So Libby continued to locate themselves there in, uh, in that region of Illinois – uh, the, the region where the Dickinson brothers originally kind of settled and built their factory, which is the area around Morton, Illinois. I don't know where Morton, Illinois is. So Morton, Illinois is like r- right in the middle of the state of Illinois. It's close to Peoria. It's kind of between Peoria and Bloomington. And Peoria, of course, the metaphorical center of America. <laughs> That's right. Will it play in USA, Peoria? America, Peoria. Uh, even to this day, 85% of all pumpkin foodstuffs made in America, happen are grown and processed within 80 miles of Morton, Illinois. That's so weird. Yeah. That nobody else was like, we'll start a competing pumpkin farm. Well, so Libby keeps a hold of the Dickinson pumpkin seeds. Oh. Uh, they're not, they don't just like let anybody take them and grow them. It's a trade secret. And it, it's a kind of a mono cultivar there to such a degree that there was a, there, there was a bad year in 2009-2010 where it disadvantageously rained during a certain part of the season and the entire... Just on Morton, Illinois, right? Just right in this area and it destroyed 
the entire crop or it, it destroyed a large portion of the crop that year, which caused a run on the canned pumpkin market, <laughs> driving the price of I canned pumpkin. I do remember paying $180 for a can <laughs> of pumpkin that year. Through the roof. Because if you're like, I look, Thanksgiving's here and I need to make this pumpkin pie. And this is, I mean, they, they had the market cornered and they lost their whole crop. That's the year to just make it with acorn squash or whatever. Yeah, like my mom did. Learn how to do sweet potato pie. Nobody will complain. Uh, after 2009, the Libby company realized that they needed to diversify where they were growing Dickinson pumpkins. So they, they, you know, bought land elsewhere, but as of just recently, it's, it's estimated that there are 5,000 acres of land in cultivation, growing these Dickinson pumpkins, which produce about between 10 and 15 million pumpkins, which... It's amazing, right? A few thousand acres, you can just get all the pumpkin the world needs. Because they just, they they can grow really close together. They sow a lot of seeds. They're, you know, these pumpkin fields are just like proliferating. There's no elementary school field trips out to the pumpkin patch to, to do a hayride. Oh, I think you can go out to them, but you just can't, you know, you can't. I think that Libby actually lets some workers there take some pumpkins home, but not many. They really do keep a, they keep a, a fence around the, it's a major cash crop. It's worth about a hundred million dollars a year. The, the pumpkin crop. Is that an autumnal thing, by the way, for your family? Do you take your daughter to a pumpkin patch Absolutely. every year? Absolutely. Corn maze. Is there a corn maze? Go to the corn maze. Last year we went to a corn maze, but the, the ground was so muddy that we got out into the corn maze and then you're like you're ankle st- deep in trapped. mud and you can't get out. And your daughter's still there. And we're saying like, which way to the exit? And all the other people like mud smeared on their faces. It was pretty traumatic. When my kids were little, we went out to one up north of Seattle that has not just a corn maze, not just a hayride, not just a pumpkin patch, but also some kind of pig show where mm. they do a re- uh, recreation of the story of the three little pigs with actual piglets who maybe do not want to get pushed into this race. Uh, I can't remember who the wolf is, but yeah. The, the, it's not an actual wolf? There's no actual, yeah. <laughs> you need three new piglets every show. <laughs> like these little piglets are placed into their respective houses, twigs, uh, straw, and brick. Right. And you have to watch a little, it's, it's like the, the passion play. Uh, is the wolf like a seven-year-old kid in a wolf costume, or how does the... How does the play get The wolf may be like a collie or something. Like, obviously, these pigs cannot act. You cannot train a pig to act out the story of the three little pigs. We have no idea whether the futurelings listening are- Are they super intelligent piglets? They're all like Shakespearean actor pigs who are Uh, like, oh, really? Can you not teach a pig to act? Well, listen, you non-kosher listeners, your ancestors in our day were not great actors. I'm sorry to say. But the kids to this day talk about the pig show, which is a big part of their autumn heritage. I feel like I went to maybe it, it wasn't uh, maybe it wasn't this year, but I've definitely seen like a greased pig competition really? at the, at the, um, the Puyallup Fair. Uh, I thought you were going to say in a like in a pumpkin patch in October. That no, would be. I think it's a mean. fair activity. Yeah. They put a bunch of kids in there and grease up a pig, and and uh, and everyone laughs as a bunch of seven year olds. Are humiliated. It was the first video game. I want uh, at the fair this year. We watched the the uh, the sheep race. Yeah, they put them on sheep. It's like bucking broncos, but yeah, with sheep. Little right? kids. They like put them on the back of a sheep, and then they whack the sheep on the ass. And the kids supposed to hold on as long as they can. <laughs> there were some kids that are just getting trampled. Well, yeah, the kids can go flying, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they either go flying or they slip off and fall underneath this 
panicked sheep. I mean, it was great fun. Look, it was great American fun, and everybody was fine. Everybody and, except the kid was you know, fine. I was proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free. America's all about democracy and the will of the majority, and most of the people there had a good time. Maybe the child didn't, but... But the child learned an important lesson, which is do not trust their father. (laughs) (laughs) When their father tells them that he's going to take them to the fair. When he says it's going to be a wild and woolly time, it might literally be a wild and woolly time. Uh, So Libby sold their operation, the Dickinson pumpkin operation, to Nestle. Oh, there's some big evil European overlord now that owns American pumpkin. And American, like big pumpkin now is some French conglomerate. But they, uh, uh, which is, which is maybe not inappropriate given that the French were the first Europeans to really uh, embrace the squash as a, as a a culinary ingredients. Yeah. Uh, But then Nestle spun off their canned pumpkin division, and it's still Libby pumpkin, pumpkin stuffs, uh, which is what we all still use today. Now, that what became the canonical pumpkin pie recipe, although it had, it had percolated back from its roots in the United Kingdom, during the 20th century, there was not any one agreed-upon formula for making an American pumpkin pie. It would it would differ regionally or by family. And so one of the Dickinson brothers came home one evening and said, you know what we need is to put a pumpkin pie recipe on the can. People and were just drinking it. People were just opening up and drinking it straight from the can. They didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, they were mixing it into their breakfast cereal. They were putting it in their coffee. Brush, which brushing we'll, their teeth which with we'll it. we'll get to in a minute. Oh, that's true. Uh, but a... A grandmother, a wife of one of these uh, old Dickinson brothers by the name of Hazel Dickinson, sat in her kitchen and baked a dozen pumpkin pies from various recipes she accumulated from all of her neighbors and and friends and had a pumpkin pie tasting contest in her, among her family. Like, everybody come in and, and taste these pies. And the best one, she wrote the recipe down and it was printed on the back of a can of Libby pumpkin, pumpkin meat. And it's the one that's still there to this day. And pretty much every person that has an individual recipe, like a family recipe for pumpkin pie, it derives from Hazel Dickinson's pie recipe. People then start changing the proportions, but it's a Dickinson, what we think of as pumpkin pie, the one that I fed you it's, the it's other a, it's day. It's a corporate recipe. It all came from this little grandmother who now has become sort of the Colonel Sanders of American pumpkin pies. We're not even sure if she was a real person. She's just a, she's just a, <laughs> she's a like Betty Crocker a, now. Yeah, an she's animated an idea. old lady. I, I think I've told you this, that, uh, my mom always made her pumpkin pie just exactly to match the, the back of the Libby's can. Yeah. And to this day, I think of that as the only kind of pumpkin pie that should be made to the degree that like, I will get a, a nicer pumpkin pie from uh, a neighborhood bakery or even throw Costco. Throw it down the stairs, throw it in the toilet. Yeah, and I will just... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll take a bite and I'll be like, this is fine, but it's not as good as my mom's pumpkin pie, which is just the can recipe. Yeah. And I don't know if that's actually true or if my, you know, my tastes have just evolved from what Hazel Dickinson told me to like. Well, and for instance, Libby still insists that condensed sweetened canned milk 
is the cream that you need to use in a pie. That's what my mom uses. And I yeah. bet these posher ones are actually using heavy oh, cream. They sure are. The posh people are like, no, no, no. You want to replace that with like, like hand churned American cream butter or whatever. You do not want that in and my it, opinion. And, and what you need for the, the true American pie is a can of Borden's, which is also spoiler alert owned by Nestle. Ah, uh, it's synergy. Yeah. You want that can of, of sweetened condensed milk. And well, I, I don't that's, know the that's, last that's time. That's very British. Like the British yeah, love their sweetened right. condensed milk. They made the Indians and the Pakistanis eat sweetened condensed milk. Now they all just love condensed milk on bread. I mean, I haven't had a can of sweetened, and it's not like I ever drank an entire can, but I have not tasted sweetened condensed milk in a while, but it is a flavor of my childhood for sure. Would you guys just eat it on bread? Are you like a... a no, we didn't, we didn't put on bread, but it was, that was what we used in cooking. I mean, my mom yeah. used sweetened condensed milk for a lot of different things. I think when you go, when you get a Thai iced tea, it's basically, or is that sweetened condensed coconut milk? So no, it's sweetened condensed milk. They use coconut milk a lot, but I think, I think condensed milk is still popular in lots of parts of South Asia and the subcontinent because of the colonizers. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Well, so now we're living in a world where pumpkin spice has become a kind of cultural phenomenon. It's autumn, like it's time for pumpkin spice candles and pumpkin spice pizza. And Guess what day Starbucks started the pumpkin spice latte this year? What day? August 28th. You could start getting a pumpkin spice latte in August. Which really stretches the, uh, the definition of autumnal. Ugh. So I think, Almost a full month into summer. I think McDonald's pioneered this many, 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 many years ago when they started doing a shamrock shake. Oh, at, yeah. um, Is that the birth of seasonal prepared food? I, that's what I think of. I imagine there's probably, uh, at least on a scale of ma this sort of mass-produced food yeah. culture. Um, remember, McDonald's had McRib for a while. They would put out these kind of seasonal- What, what holiday was that for? The McRibs uh, had to be for- uh, Arbor Day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Plant a tree and eat a microbe. That was bad. Arbor Day. Uh, and Arbor Day suggests exactly how much rib meat is actually in a McRib sandwich, <laughs> just to say not very much. But um, in 2003, Starbucks was trying out some different seasonal flavors. They'd had, a, they'd had some success with their peppermint latte that was kind of a Christmas flavor. Mm. And they were throwing around some ideas. And someone came up with pumpkin spice as a latte flavoring. And the Starbucks executives were a little bit sort of dubious about it. Although there wasn't a lot else that was 
pumpkin flavored in the world at the time. Well, also all those things are are things you would not be surprised to find in hot drinks: cinnamon, right. cloves, right. ginger, nutmeg. These are all things you will find in uh, different Tea kinds of and, teas and hot chocolates and eggnogs and. But no one was thinking. Let's put pureed pumpkin in a cup of coffee. Does right? pumpkin spice latte have any pumpkin in it or well, is it so, just the spice? So the initial pumpkin spice lattes uh, that came out in 2003 did not have any pumpkin in them. They were just, as you describe, a combination a of ho- the holiday spice pumpkin mix. flavors, yeah. right? Um, and like all great lattes, full of heavy cream that and with enough sh- sugar syrup in there probably tastes like sweetened condensed milk. But pumpkin spice lattes were a huge success. They, even in their initial debut, sold out massively and were... Well, here's you know, the thing. Everybody loves pumpkin pie. Right. You only eat it like maybe two days a year. Like you, you know, traditionally, you'd have a pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving and then some leftovers and maybe Christmas and then some leftovers. And at some point, somebody was like, there is an untapped appetite for people want this taste more than two days a year. Why? Why would we only... Why would we deprive ourselves? I certainly do. Like, I, 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 there were many, many years where I only had, I had my first piece of pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. Me too. And then, you know, if you were lucky, you'd get one on Christmas dinner too. And and then you bid adieu to the pumpkin taste until the following year. That would be, what if we did that with chocolate? That would be insane. Yeah. And I, I think I, when I reached like my full franchise as an adult, I realized as soon as I see a pumpkin pie in the store, I can buy it. Nothing keeps, I don't have to wait till Thanksgiving. I started doing that with eggnog and then you could really, you can gain 30 oh, pounds with this You love plan. nog. I, I knew that I about like, you. Do you. Are you anti-nog? I don't eat the nog. I'll have, you don't, did you say I don't eat the nog dog? I don't eat the nog dog. <laughs> dog? <laughs> I don't eat it either, but I will drink it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not cut eggnog with fresca like my grandpa used to because that's disgusting. Whoa. But I will cut it with a little milk and it's delicious. People put, Liquor in eggnog. They do. I never did when I was a liquor consumer because why waste? Why ruin rum with egg yolks? (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, no, no dice. But I do buy pumpkin pies. I try not to eat like 50 pumpkin pies in the autumn, but I, I, I keep one around. It's a delicious breakfast. I gave my daughter a slice of pumpkin pie for breakfast the other day, and I might as well have made her princess of the world. She couldn't believe her good fortune. I mean, that's the best thing about... Thanksgiving is the day after the fridge, the pumpkin, the pie has been in the fridge all night, yeah. delicious triangle of breakfast pumpkin pie. But the, uh, the Starbucks latte phenomenon kind of, it did not sate our appetite for pumpkin spice. If it only sharpened it. It did. It, it, people realized like they love this flavor. And I think other people saw, I mean, commercial enterprises saw the success that Starbucks had with pumpkin spice latte. And they searched around like, what about zucchini? What about, uh, what about hot dog flavor? And they realize like, oh, you know what? We can just do a pumpkin thing too. Um, people aren't, you know, they'll have their pumpkin spice latte and then they'll come into our store and we'll sell them some pumpkin spice piroshki or whatever. It just gives you an excuse. Like you weren't going to buy Oreos because they're a blind spot. Oreos are always there on the shelf. And then suddenly what? These Oreos are pumpkin spice. I have to get them. Here's a list of products that you can now get in pumpkin spice form in our area. Do you want want me to go through this? Please, My goodness. Coffee mate, Cheerios, Philadelphia cream cheese, pumpkin spice, Quaker oatmeal, pop tarts. There's your breakfast. Mm -hmm. Chobani yogurt, uh, Milano's, Okay, I love remember, Milano's, but do I don't need... Do you remember when Milano's tasted like pumpkin spice? Because Pepperidge Farm remembers. I don't need pumpkin in them. That seems weird. Yeah, when it's chocolate plus popcorn, I'm a little 
skeptical. Uh, pumpkin flavored kettle corn, pumpkin spice flavored Lando Lakes butter. Mm, oh, what would you know. make with that? If I think it's just a spread. You're putting. You're going to eat some bread and butter, but now it's like you just kind of tossed in some sugar and spice and everything nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did I not say? M and M's, pumpkin right. spice M and M's. I've seen those. Avoid. A little suspicious. Yep. Do they have? I think they're no chocolate. Maybe they're maybe they're Double like white avoid. chocolate. Quadruple avoid. Uh, blue diamond almonds okay. with pumpkin spice. Okay. Uh, triscuits. Whoa. To me, that's like the that's the bridge too far. That's is like that the it? scientists that were so busy asking, "Can we do this?" They never <laughs> asked, "Should we?" Pumpkin Triscuits. I almost feel like buying a box for us just to weigh in on this controversy. I think we should buy a ton of them and then just blow them up at a baseball game, like uh, <laughs> Disco Demolition. Because there, there has been a backlash, right? Well, to so the pumpkin spice phenomenon. In 2014, so they were introduced in 2003 and- um, The lattes? The lattes, pumpkin lattes, and they were a smashing success. But in, in recent years, 2014, a woman named uh, Vani Hari- the great great granddaughter of Matahari. Yes, obviously. Um, who is a food blogger who writes under the name The Food Babe. Uh, she stirred up some controversy about the pumpkin spice latte, specifically that it was had too much sugar, it had caramel coloring, which was going to turn your children into little uh, orange yeah, uh Trumps. Even though these things were not considered dangerous by the Food and Drug Administration, that no longer matters if you are someone who's reading like- a, Sure. It's, it's, it's far from organic, right. uh, GMO, locally grown stuff to, to buy a, a Starbucks pumpkin spice latte. And I don't know the work of Vani Hari. She may, be, uh, she may be doing great work in the world, but she did not do great work by the Starbucks company because she stirred up a lot of pumpkin spice suspicion- I think it did become kind of a class thing where you had people like Martha Stewart and Anthony Bourdain saying, essentially, pumpkin spice latte is for basic bitches. You know, yeah, like right. if you're not a dumb white woman, why would you be drinking this swill? There's better stuff available. And it did become synonymous. You're absolutely right with a sort of housewifey uh, obliviousness, but that did not diminish its appeal. And and Starbucks responded by introducing a little bit of pumpkin puree into their pumpkin spice lattes. Bring it all back home. And they, you know, they changed the amount of sugar. They changed the amount of artificial ingredients. They made it now sort of all natural and including real pumpkin or Dickinson pumpkin, which is, as we know, a squash, uh, like a butternut squash, basically. It's butternut squash latte. But so, yeah, Starbucks regained their market share after the Vani Hari... Years. After Vani Hari Gate. And, you know, I, I'm afraid that, that pumpkin spice lattes outlived uh, Anthony Bourdain, too, and, <laughs> it's, uh, and Martha well, Stewart's I, I've actually seen backlash to the backlash. People saying... Oh, that, the, that it was snobs? Yeah, it's snobbery to deny, you know, a, a nice working class soccer mom her pumpkin spice latte. Right. And also maybe there's a level of misogyny, you know, like it, this is food that is encoded as feminine. It's very easy for... But you guys like us to sit around and laugh at the pumpkin spice Chobani, but um, that's just kind of an encoded way to say this food's a little bit suspect to us. I think we have. I think we've crossed a line in the uh, the pumpkinization of American food, which is that you cannot ever put the 
pumpkin back in the, the can. pumpkin back in the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I think that now, uh, you know, pumpkin flavoring and pumpkin as a, as a way of, uh, life as a way of life and as a way of like seasoning has taken on such a life of its own that we will, we'll gradually forget its Starbucks connection. Our, our futurelings listening to the program, living in an entirely pumpkin based culinary society where everything is from the pumpkin. I would like to assume that maybe they have a short time every year when they're allowed to buy non pumpkin spice oh, products. See. Like everybody can't wait for the non pumpkin spice lattes and yogurts and triscuits. Sometime in May when yeah, the last exactly. pumpkins have, have like have, have sort of degraded in their cellars, but before the first pumpkins of the year. And there's a few cranky ones being like non pumpkin spice lattes come earlier every year. Uh, you know what? I really am looking forward to some good old fashioned corn syrup. And that concludes. Pumpkin Pie, entry 1008.jh0406, certificate number 36525, in the omnibus. One of the chief ways the pumpkin spice vector or meme spread was through social media, of mm-hmm. course. People, mm-hmm. people wanted to post something lifestyle-y. Post a picture of themselves with the first pumpkin spice latte of the year. A certain kind of fall uh, ethos or aesthetic, the whole pumpkin and cornucopia thing and so that became that's really how it spread that is that's how that's how facebook became so popular it was like a mutual dependence right the the latte needed facebook and facebook needed the latte yeah it was a bunch of college students who just wanted a way to rank the pumpkin Mm -hmm. the pumpkin varieties at their college (laughs) and they created facebook uh, yeah, people don't realize that Zuckerberg was a botanist. John, John and I, um, as much as we love pumpkin, deplore every other use to which social media is put, and it's a real chore for us to maintain our presences on at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, and at Omnibus Project, respectively. But we do. We soldier on with our impeccably posed morning photos of us with our steaming pumpkin spice lattes. Mm, it's another day in paradise, Ken. <laughs> Before we start working on Christmas decorating our house. Yeah, when are you going to start putting up your gingerbread house photos, your little German Christmas village? Well, I, you know, actually I had an advent calendar on the mantle and I just never took it down. It was up there for like three and a half years before. <laughs> Did you open a door occasionally? Yeah, or? every once in a while before, every once in a while I'd walk past and be like, oh, huh, that's right. It's almost Christmas. Good thing that's still there. I had, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but I had... Christmas stockings hanging on my fireplace all year round. That's because you wanted to keep the the peace on earth and goodwill toward men in your heart. I like to keep the the Christmas spirit alive. Three ghosts appeared to you. The ghost of Jim Morrison, the ghost of Bobby Kennedy, (laughs) Uh and the ghost of... Count Basie. Patrick Nagel. (laughs) All appeared to you and wanted you to change the air of your ways and leave your Christmas stockings up all year yes. and become a kinder human being. I've done all those things. The promise came true. Yeah. You, you saved Tiny Tim's leg. Everything's great. We encourage you to interact with your fellow future listeners on the Futurelings fan page on Facebook. Uh, it's really the only thing you should do on Facebook. Just go to Facebook hang out with Futurelings, then close that window. It's all you need is the Futurelings and, well, and Facebook Marketplace uh, where you, you know, you sell your RVs and stuff. Those and are I'm the sure there's like a dating do. aspect to it too, right? 
No, you can use the marketplace for that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, there it is. You can use the future links for that. Definitely do not post anything political there. Do not try and take on your relatives. My brother Bart has started to put videos of choral music, like people singing like Handel. Handel's Messiah. Yeah, right, in European churches. The free ghost must have appeared to him too. It's really wonderful. I, I, I just, I go there for a little respite. I People are... And then there's some Gregorian stuff. I mean, it's like vocal vocal music in churches. Back in the day, you would have to wait for carolers. Yep. Yep. Some, some would have to come to your door and sing choral music. Good rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. It's a little low. It's a little low for me, John. Remember Christ <laughs> our Savior. It's like a minor key Christmas dirge. On Christmas you have a Christmas Day. album. You should plug it. Buy, jo- buy John's Christmas record. I made a Christmas album. If it with, survived uh, to the future. With uh, Jonathan Colton called One Christmas at a Time. Uh, it's all original compositions. Brand new Christmas music that you've never heard before if you if you don't own the album. And they're all about the birth of Christ. It's like one of those Christian Archie comics. Well, we, we, uh, we set some limitations on ourselves. We decided we would not use the word Mary. We would not use the word Mary cheer. like the mother of God or Mary like Either. it's a Merry Christmas. Either. You cannot say, you cannot say I was feeling Mary. You cannot say I, I, we had good cheer. We took a lot of the normal Christmas tropes out. What about eggnog? Uh, there is, a, we do reference eggnog. Yes. We talk a lot about like drunk uncles and, you know, other lesser known holiday tropes. So you're telling your listeners you took Jesus out of Christmas and replaced him with eggnog and drunk uncles? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, fair enough. No, we might refer to Jesus. No, I guess we don't really. I mean, obliquely. We, we, it's, there's a hat tip, you know, we like. (laughs) Shout out to Jesus. What's up, yo? Couldn't have done this record without him. (laughs) But there's a but. Let me tell you, here comes the Don't worry, John, I'm sure he'll save you obliquely. Yeah, listen, if you, you mentioned him obliquely. if you are listening to this program and you are looking for more Christ in your Christmas music, there are plenty of options for you. Mormon Tabernacle Choir. But th- that's right. But th- and I'm sure the the works of the entire the formerly uh, Mormon Tabernacle all, Choir. All, that's right. It's not Mormon anymore, Ken. Uh, but also everything every music that has come out of Nashville in the last 24 years is probably would be more Christmas carolly than than One Christmas at a Time by John Roderick and Jonathan Colton. I feel like Nashville really embraced the secular Christmas carols, actually. Like, the secular ones? Sure. Silver Bells or whatever. Except not Silver Bells, because that's Christmas time in the city, the and they is, hate the city. I don't think you're maybe listening to all the Christmas music that's coming out of Nashville. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but you don't seem like you've got your Spotify tuned to... I don't have my ear to contem- the Opry. Contemporary Christian... Uh, Would I really rock. be surprised at how Christian-y these, uh, these I bet you the Carrie Underwood Christmas records? I bet you there's a lot more Christian-y uh, rock music getting made right now than, than is crossing your bow. Because you're still sitting and listening to the old, the old uh, Frank Black records from the early 90s. You never had a Christmas record. <laughs> is there, uh, are there any Hanukkah songs on these country albums? No. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely not. Sound, sound of gun being cocked. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one, maybe maybe that that uh, what was the record? It was like a country star made a record with uh, oh with a rapper. Yeah, what was that? It was some kind of like let's bring our country together type of record that everybody agreed was a both a commercial and a creative failure. But they might have had like a Christmas meets Kwanzaa song. Probably still didn't make any reference to Hanukkah. <laughs> 
If there's one thing a lot of country stars and a lot of rap stars can agree on, it's anti-Semitism. Uh, yeah, who was that? Why can't I remember who that it is? It was... Um, it was Nelly and Tim McGraw. No. Jay-Z and Blake Shelton. No, who was the... He was one of the it early... It was Ludacris He was one of the early Dirk's rappers Bentley. who became an actor. It was but Ice... It wasn't Ice, anybody. <laughs> Uh, it was LL Cool J. It was LL Cool J. No, was it? LL Cool J is hard as hell. He's, he'll no. battle anybody. He don't care who you it's tell. It's Tone Loke and LL Garth Brooks, but not actually cool Garth Brooks. J it's his rock and roll country persona album, and it which was, is, uh, uh, on, you know, baby, Chris Gaines. Brad Paisley featuring LL Cool J in their tune, Accidental Racist. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, and it references Starbucks. To the man who waited on me at the Starbucks down on Maine, I hope you understand. When I put on that t-shirt, the only thing I meant to say is I'm a Skinnerd fan. The red flag on my chest somehow is like the elephant in the corner of the South. Mm, and I just... I, I'm not sure I'm uh, <laughs> up to... I'm not sure I'm... On the same page as that metaphor. I just walked him right in the room, like just a proud rebel son with an old can of worms, looking like I got a lot to learn, but from my point of view. I don't, I don't, I'm not don't sure that that's think, how you learn either, is just, just learn from your point of view. It's like one of those things where they have a deep learning big data thing and they to tossed in a ton of Christmas and rap lyrics and it just spit that out. Yeah, right. It doesn't actually make any sense. They talk about reconstruction in this tune too. Are they well, for it or against it? Well... One is for it. Let's see. One is against <laughs> I, th I think they were both supposed to be for whatever they were talking about. Uh, there's a lot of talking. I think the Brad Paisley character says, I'm just a white man coming to you from the Southland multiple times in this song. That seems to be his. That's, that's the hook for him. That's his refrain. And then. Um, and LL Cool J is just like F.U. Cracker. LL Cool J says, Dear Mr. White Man, I wish you understood. If I ever see Brad Paisley in person, I'm going to say, Dear Mr. White Dear Man. Dear Mr. White Man. <laughs> and, and strangely, Dear Mr. Mr. White Man, it's all capitalized. Mr. Like, white Man, bring, 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 bring me <laughs> yeah, a dream. I wish you understood. <laughs> uh, is this what an experiment? What the world to see is if, really like when you're living in the hood. Is this an experiment boom, 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 to see boom. how. Many people need to tune out of the outro. Oh, are we still doing? Are we still doing the show? People, people say they will listen to us no matter how long it gets, but I think we have maybe reached the point where they will not. I was thinking that Corinthian was probably going to cut most of this out, but I don't know. Well, if you're hearing this, Corinthians, <laughs> sure let you down. Uh, we would, did you give them all the information? That, I don't think I, I mean, did. I, I didn't do even do the email address. If you have uh, get your work done. If you want to talk to us about. Um, Brad Paisley or uh, Ladies Love Cool James or uh, Garth Brooks's uh, rock alter ego, uh, Chris Gaines. Chris Gaines. Uh, Ladies Love Chris Gaines. You can email us at uh, omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Um, people in our time even sent us physical objects. They would send us Christmas gifts, hand knitted uh, Christmas stockings, uh, cans of condensed milk. They would put all those uh, in the US mail. And one of those Grumman LLVs would deliver it to Omnibus Project at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Futurelings, at some point in your wonderful, amazing future, podcasts will just end rather than dribble out like an incontinent older gentleman. Um, 
In your, from our vantage point, in your distant past, this is great content. This is as good as it got in our era. Yeah, we really think that we're this making... This is an amazing uh, bit of uh, sustained improv. Some tight shit This is a herald, <laughs> as we say. You know, there are a lot of stand-up comics doing podcasts, but they can't get the LPM or laughs per minute that Ken and I do just... It's amazing that we produce a new hour of material twice a week, and it's our outro. <laughs> <laughs> Choke on that, Louie. Anyway, from your from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long this outro uh, survives, how long this outro keeps going. Could be, we could only be the beginning. I can talk about Chris Gaines for another half hour if you want. But we hope and pray that this podcast uh, may one day come to a uh, close. If the worst comes soon... This recording, like all our recordings, may be our final one. But Providence Labs, Providence Labs, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Is that entry very long? Uh, that we when we got done with the show, we were at like fifty-three minutes, and oh, now perfect. we're at an hour eleven. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh.